through that cancer journey, through all the writing I did, I realized there's something here and I need to hang on to that. I had to hang on to that drive. I don't want to lose it. Finding the right career path can be hard, even when it's sitting in front of your face. Nadia Hone is the author behind seven books for children, but until this year, she never believed that she could make a career in writing. In fact, she spent years feeling unsure of her career choices and searching for a new path. All the while, she was a passionate writer, but only in her free time. Today, I speak with Nadia to learn how and why she eventually took the plunge into a writing career and how it fits into her work as an advocate for diversity. Keep listening. So Nadia, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and for speaking with me about your career full of twists and turns. (laughs) So, uh, After Waterloo, you went to teacher's college, and then you started working in schools in the GTA uh, right out of uh, college. But you quickly began considering other career paths and options. Did you know right away that there were other paths that could be a good fit for you? Uh, I I did. Um, I had the year that I applied, I actually applied to teacher's college in graduate school the same time and I applied to do a master's of education but I was that year was interesting because I was looking at um just different possibilities I had this interest in writing but I didn't know about I mean I wasn't looking up MFA creative writing programs I didn't really know about those at that time um I didn't I, I considered applying to nursing. I had those, had that application. I almost sent it, but I can't remember what I why I didn't end up sending it in the end. You know, I had done, you know, work. I've been working with kids for most of my working life. I had hours and I thought, you know, teaching was a way to apply my creativity and it was a stable career. So I thought, you know, this was a path, but um, I knew that writing was always going to be there. I always saw writing as the fallback, as the thing that I could do that always refreshed me. And I knew I was going to continue to do that even as a teacher. So I think writing had always been there. Um, and then, you know, a few years into teaching, I... I I did a little, I had also started my film festival the year that I was applying to all of my programs. So I did consider, you know, master's in cultural studies or communications or something like that. But I always knew teaching had to be part of whatever I did because it was always about giving back. I always wanted to give back and I felt teaching allowed me to do kind of everything. But at the same time, there was this creative need, even, um, and I just did lots of interesting things. Like I started writing for community newspaper. I did a few articles and I realized how much I was like, wow, I love this, but I don't know how to make money for it. I just don't. So I guess it's just a hobby, a fun hobby. Um, and I even played in a, a band and I, I love music. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll be a music teacher and write books. And it just kind of like, it, it, it just those kind of things, I guess, you know, evolved because 
I I use a lot of music in my presentations with young people and 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 schools now. Um, my books tend to have a musical like quality. At least I've been told that my style is writing with a musicality to it or poetry to it. Um, I'm working on novels right now with music is very prominent in both. So I, yeah, I guess the career path that I knew, I knew that I'd be teaching, but I knew it was going to be full of other things or go into another direction. I just had this feeling. I just didn't know what that was going to become. That's so interesting. So many different options that you explored, but Mm -hmm. you can see how they all um, have connections to both teaching and writing and creativity. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we spoke before, you talked a bit about your battle with cancer and you spoke about it as kind of a turning point in your career. How had you approached your writing practice before that point? And then Mm -hmm. how did it change afterwards? Yeah. Well, I had always written, I kept journals and that's, it was really for me and writing was always to, to help me and to provide some stress release, um, to provide therapy, um, for me to confide my thoughts and my secrets and all of that into my journaling. Um, And, you know, the poetry I wrote in high school was really for me. And I, that's partly why I never really took it anywhere, did anything with it or showed it. Like I, I had published a couple in my high school newspaper, a couple of my poems, but I never thought they would serve anybody else. I thought they were angsty teenage poems and who would want to read these? Like, that's what I thought of that. And, you know, I had other writing projects. I started like, you know, I had started writing novels when I was probably 12, 13, and I never finished them. Um, I entered, I wrote a play. I wrote a couple plays in high school and one of them I entered in a contest. I didn't win. I just didn't think, anything about being a playwright like I just never thought my work was that good enough and it wasn't that level and I didn't understand at the time that you know you can learn to make it that level you can actually go to school and and make a career from it that just never entered my mind um so I just thought that if I I think as I got older it's like you know if I take this writing and try to make a career from it I will start to hate it because it's going to be, I'm going to financially, I will have to write things that I don't want to write just to get my bread and butter. I never wanted to make writing my bread and butter because I thought I was going to grow to hate it. That was what I thought like of, of writing. So I said, let me keep it as something I love to do and I turn to and I can do whenever I want, however I want. And no one, uh, there won't be any restrictions in that. And that was an interesting thing. Like looking back, I'm like, wow, that's so different than what I think of it now. Like, why can't I have both? Why can't it be something I love to do and my bread and butter? Um, so I think my thinking then well, the cancer was that, you know, so I, I took it or left it. Um, 
And then when I had cancer um, or was diagnosed, even though, you know, I said I had the good cancer, it was thyroid cancer. It's like, I had the good cancer and it was terrifying. Like I, and, you know, it's like, oh, the prognosis is good and all of that. But I felt like, oh my gosh, you know, what if this, what if this is it? What, what, what have I accomplished? And I was like in my early thirties, right? So what have I accomplished? And I accomplished a lot, to be honest, but I was like, I hadn't traveled and seen the world. And that was something I always wanted to do. And I was like, I haven't published any books because it was kind of thing I thought I had a lot of time to accomplish. But then it was like, oh, then if I haven't done that, then I should get on that. I was also looking for stories about my cancer journey, um, the type of cancer I had, and I couldn't find any writing. Like I found books about other types of cancer, but I really wanted to know like on a day-to-day what to expect, what are people thinking, and I couldn't find that. So I decided to start a blog. And it first was just for me and to share with my family what I was going through, but um, it quickly became an obsession. Like a lot of things I do, I just jump in with two feet and I was like posting multiple times a day. And because I was so tired, there wasn't like, I wasn't, I was writing all the time. Like I had enough energy to write. So I was writing a lot and then I eventually started sharing it with more people and then also becoming more vulnerable in terms of what I shared. First, I wasn't talking about the treatments I was going through, but I was actually eventually started to share that. And I also became vegan at this, like around the start of the blogging. So I wanted to share what I'm learning about food and all of that. And I was sharing all the food I was cooking. And as I was doing that, I was getting responses and people were like, thank you. This is inspirational. Thank you for sharing and I've realized the potential, like, oh, there's community here, right? And there's a need for it because it's getting messages from people who um, were newly diagnosed and wanting to know what to expect, or or thanking them for thanking me for their for my blog because it gave them hope, or they at least knew what you know. And I'm like, oh, this is great. So as I I, I guess let's see. This would have, I think I started it in February, March, and I kept writing. And I was also journaling. So as I was blogging, I was also keeping these journals and writing like some, like this. I got these thick journals like this, and I'd be just writing up a storm. And then that fall, I was like, you know, should I? I think I should look into going back to school to see if they're, you know, um, get a mass MFA. Um, and I applied, I didn't get in. It didn't discourage me from writing, but I kept going. I kept writing and I, I had already taken like a couple of writing classes, but then I was like, okay, I'm going to take this writing class. And I did as much writing study. Like I took um, like a course at, a night uh, college, like a community college. And I think that was like, okay, there, there, I, through that cancer journey, through all the writing I did, I realized there's something here and I need to hang on to that. I had to hang on to that drive. I don't want to lose it. So it was the drive 
to create and cancer was that catalyst because I figured, you know, I it made me realize that in life you have moments when you may be sick or unable to do something and you don't know when those may occur. So use the time you do have well and the time you do have to accomplish your dreams and use that time well. And that's what I wanted to do. And that's how I made the transition, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes you need these pushes in life. So speaking of pushes, you, you've talked a bit about going to different conferences and meeting authors, but what finally pushed you to actually send your work to a publisher? Because those two things are different. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Yeah, for sure. And again, yeah, again, you hear, I had to send my story to a hundred publishers to, before anyone said yes. Yeah. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to do that, it has to be like perfect. The story has to be perfect. So I held off, right? Because my stories were never perfect, you know? So, and I didn't, and at the time I didn't see any, like I wrote Caribbean characters in, 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 in Canada and and I didn't see any books really at that time. There, I knew of a couple other earlier titles, like, um, years before but nothing at the time I was thinking of submitting um and I guess what led to it um I was teaching and my vice prince sorry the principal said to me you know I am part of this organization uh, it was called PACE um and they did I I was familiar with PACE because I knew they did work around primary education or early years education in Jamaica. And this uh, principal said to me, you know, um, Jacqueline Spence, she said, you know, uh, we have this contest and I know you're a writer and the contest is to write a story and, you know, the deadline's coming up and I was like, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. So I went on the website and looked it up and lo and behold, there was this contest to win a thousand dollars and I'm like okay I that's a good amount for a writing contest and I I thought okay I'm gonna work on my story and at that time I was in a critique group and I was teaching I think I was teaching French and music so in the school I was teaching all of the students from kindergarten to grade four and I had an I had an audience, right? So I was like, I worked on the story. I read the story to the kids. Just like, And there's no pictures. I was reading it to them and they listened. They were like captivated. And I was like taking mental notes of when they were laughing and when they were like rapt attention and when they kind of faded and made some changes to the story. So as I was working on it, I was like, okay, I think it's ready for the contest. And I was, I was reading it and finding joy in it. And I sent it to the contest. And after I sent it to the contest, I think the story's actually pretty good. I think it's ready to see a publisher. So I started, I had taken a workshop with um, 
at a bookstore, a different book list in Toronto. It was a, a, a work, a kind of a small workshop about how to get published in children's literature. And on the panel were um, an editor, Sharon Jennings. I think there was an author and there was a publisher who was Sheila Berry, who was at the time at Kids Can Press. So that was in 2011. And I believe I applied for the contest in 2013. So I said, you know, I'm going to send her a copy. And this is snail mail day. So I printed out a copy and had the self-addressed envelope you're supposed to include so they can send it back to you. And I also um, knew that the owner of the, one of the co-owners of the bookstore, I was like, oh, maybe... I think she said she knows a publisher. So I asked her for another name and I sent it to that publisher. So I sent two menus, two copies, not hundreds, just two. And I figured, okay, if they both say no, I will now send to the hundreds. And if they all say no, then I'm going to self-publish this. But it all seemed like daunting. It was like step by step. So I sent the manuscript to this publisher and they said no but then when I had reached out to Sheila Berry she had started she was at the publisher at Brownwood Books at the time she had moved to um, that position and I was you know do you remember me she said yes and I sent it to her and the cool thing is that both of these publishers got back fairly quickly to me like that doesn't typically happen like they got back to me I think within a month or so which it's usually months. So um, it was great that she got back to me and she said, you know, I think like, let's, I want to see if this can work on our list. Here are my suggestions. She gave me some feedback on it. And I, I she said, don't, don't just take your time and work on it. I did that, sent it back to her. So it was really low key. It was really that, you know, initial, because the thought of sending it to a publisher at that time for me was intimidating. But because I knew I had met a publisher, it was not as terrifying. It was just like, okay, I met her. I know her. And she seemed nice. And even when she said, let's see if this works on our list, I was like, oh, she's just being really nice to me. She doesn't want to hurt my feelings. She's just being nice. Like, that's what I was thinking. And even when she got back, she's like, yeah, I think this, I like where this is going. I was like, she's just being nice. She does this for everybody. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I don't think they do that. <laughs> I learned later that's not how it works. And yeah. then when she told me, I asked her how many submissions she gets. She says she gets 1500 a year. Or she used to get, she's no longer with us. She passed away. But she said she got over 1500 submissions a year and she could only choose 30. So when I did the stats, I'm like, that's 0.5%. And I thought, oh, wow. So I guess I'm in that 0.5%. And then I realized, wow, I guess I didn't really have a clue did I <laughs> so yeah <laughs> yeah I like that you took it step by step uh and so that it wasn't quite so overwhelming even just sending to two publishers at first who you had connections with yeah 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 that was how I 
could do it. I didn't think I would have been that person, but it worked for me. Um, Because I know people who do the numbers. Like, you know, if you send out 80 queries to an agent or 100, you know, the odds are you'll get one. That, but the other part of it to me, that was, that would be, I didn't, I didn't have, I felt like I didn't have the time to do that at that time. I didn't have the time, you know, life was so busy and I just figured, let me do this way. And it worked for me. Yeah. So speaking of uh, step-by-step, you even, you worked full time even after mm-hmm. becoming a published author. Yes. Um, yes. And, and you still do many other things. Yes. But this past year, um, you set aside the year to be, I, I think when we first spoke, you explained it as a writer with a capital W. Yes. This year. <laughs> so what, um, after years, because that was 2013, after all these years of working and publishing books, because you've published a number more books. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you decide, okay, this is the year I am a writer mm-hmm. first? Yes, that's a good question. I think, so first of all, I had applied to another MFA program, a Master of Fine Arts Creative Writing program. I didn't get in. It was uh, a program in the U.S. And I figured, I don't need this degree. I have a full-time career. I'm able to get publishing, I'm able to publish books. So I don't need this. But I think it was that thing in the back of my head that like, how good am I? Like, am I really that good if I can't get into an MFA program? And part of it was also like, and what if I want to teach? I want to have that option. And I, I was like, and these things get harder as you get older. Like, I just, not that it's impossible, but I'm like, you know, I feel like as I, I age, I, I may like have more excuses. And, you know, I'm in my 40s now and I thought, you know, what if I just gave it a shot? What if I just did it to see if I could get in? So I, I had the, I got to gather my transcripts. It's a lengthy process. And I said, I'm going to just apply to two programs in Canada. Because the cost of tuition is a lot cheaper. And I said, you know, I applied to these two programs and see what happens. And I also talked to people who, I think I talked to a couple people who actually did the programs after. Because um, it was all, as you said, like I was, I was working full time or I was getting ready to, I was on a leave. Uh, and I was actually focused on my writing career then. It was a short, it was a, maybe it was a little trial because it was also a, a kind of like, can I, can I do without a full-time salary for four months? Can I live without that security and figure out how to make it work? So I was promoting um, A Little Miss Lou, which is my picture book here. And I did some, speaking engagements and I, I organized my tours and I, I did that and um, I tried it out and it's, it, I somehow made it work. 
I somehow made it work, like, you know, and I'm like, oh, wow, okay. That tells me something. And then it was like, okay, let me get the application ready. Got all my transcripts ready. And for some reason, I couldn't find one of my transcripts the night before. Like, I had I had it. It was sitting on my, my table, and it wasn't there anymore. And I, I don't know what happened to it. And I was like, I, I, I remember putting it to where I couldn't find it. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to make this deadline. And I think that's a sign. So let me let it go. I, I wasn't meant to go to that particular university. And I was like, I just let it go like that. But I, I, I did um, apply to my current program, which is at Guo. Um, and I just waited to see. And I knew the program is it's a very small program. Um, in terms of how many they let in. And as I was talking to people, uh, you know, a, a couple, uh, one of the authors of a book that I absolutely loved, she, she graduated from the program. She had great things to say about it. And I spoke to one of my mentors. He also did the program. So all these things were sounding really good to me. I got in on a wait list and then I was offered and this is April. So the pandemic had started in March. And I had to decide. And I took some time to decide. It took a, like, I talked to some teachers who did the program, asked them how they made it work with their teaching um, schedule. Because I had just gone back to teaching in that January. There was a strike going on as well. And then the pandemic hit in March. And then in April, I get this offer. I think it was April or, yeah, late April. So I was trying to figure out what do I do? And I'm like, will this pandemic still be going on? I had no idea. I had no idea. So I prayed about it. And I realized this was going to be a huge leap of faith. And I am so happy I did that. But I was so busy, but so happy so happy with what I was doing and like, okay, this is sinking and I need to figure out how to make this work. And, you know, this whole school year has been extremely busy. Winter was busy. I was teaching two courses plus studying and then doing all those other jobs as well. And I was just like, it's like, and then I had a new book come out in March. And then it was just like, I'm like, can life be any busier? I, I don't know if it can be, but I understand I have to like ride this wave to figure out how to make this work. And this is my time to do this. And I and financially was able to save money as well as like stay afloat. And that's was kind of like, okay, okay, this is working. So I let me figure out, let me keep going. It's gonna be a touch and go because it's not as laid out as um, you know, I, I, I teaching, I know what, you know, I'll be earning in two weeks and I know what, um, my career outlook is in an elementary or a public school system. I know what that's, that trajectory trajectory will look like this writing one. It, you don't know. And I was also pitching, um, book ideas as well. And, I just like, yeah. And I, and also doing a lot of advocacy work around diversity in, in children's literature and being 
interviewed for this and writing articles about this. And I'm like, this is my activism piece because that's always been important for me too. I can put that in here and I could put the teaching part in here and, and all of that. So it's just came all together in writing, you know, and instead of being at the front of a classroom all the time, I'm, 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 my classroom is the page, right. Or the screen or wherever people are reading from. So it just, it was a, a leap of faith, but it was like so needed. And I'm glad I did it while I was young. Something that I really, um, that I find really interesting that I think people don't realize uh, about authors is that being an author is not just about writing the book. Uh, you, when I talk to you, you are so busy with other things. So you mentioned writing uh, classes for adults that you're teaching right now. And you do presentations in schools for school-age children uh, who would be reading your books. Um, and then you're doing this MFA program that I think uh, could, it sounds like it could open more doors for you. Do you know where you want to go next or are you just still figuring it out? So I want to first and foremost, keep writing books, diversify our bookshelves. Um, I want to write books outside of kid lit. Like I do want to write, um, I'm working on middle grade and young adult novels as well. Um, I want to write outside of like the, the kid. I actually have some adult book ideas as well that I would like to work on. And I wrote a couple film scripts and I have a play that a play that I think I, I mentioned I had lost I didn't win the contest in high school, but I, I've now turned that play into a novel that I'm working on. And I've actually done a screen um adaptation. I wrote like a first uh act, first act plus like a treatment for it as well. So it's like there's so many other types of writing. I can do, you know, just I'll continue doing that and my advocacy around diversifying the publishing landscape in Canada. It's, I'm seeing the fruit. I'm seeing the fruit. And it's sad to say that in the last year, what we, what I'm seeing right now, I wish had happened in 2014 when I first wrote an article called Who Will Write Our Stories? Like the, and, and the U.S. was doing the We Need Diverse Books campaign. I wish I saw some of the things that I'm seeing now in the last year since, you know, sadly, George Floyd. Um, a lot has happened. A lot has shifted. And people are talking about anti-racism, anti-racist education. This is stuff, again, I was writing about in undergrad when I was at Waterloo and into my, so this is all stuff like it's coming out now. Like even, um, you know, this to say that you are, so this is all work I was doing before, but it felt like I was the only one or I was what, I, I, isolated from others who are, and then now it's like, it's becoming a conversation in a big way. And we're seeing, because racism hasn't gone away we've seen so many sadly incidents 
um, and increases in these incidents. So I've always been about, I think, being in this position now is about opening up the door for others who are coming through and, and, and pulling others up and mentoring. Like when I hear about, um, yeah, just like even when I organized the Kid Light for Black Lives last um, June, um, Kid Light for Black Lives Canada last June, I had 22 presenters and um, we had over 8,000 views and having that audience tells me there's a need for this and the books, there are three, at least three book uh, contracts that came out of that. And, and just like, like, wow, there's, I'm, 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 I'm seeing my role and my influence. And now I'm not like, you know, that person, like thinking the, the imposter syndrome, I'm kind of walking into that because the roles have come to me and I've, been in those roles but I didn't it was just something I did where I I didn't quite see not incidental or accidental but it was just like I just did it now I'm like I'm part of this cultural shift I'm a part of that catalyst I'm one of the leaders in that cultural shift so let me figure out how to make that happen and that has that's going to be part of my career so it's never just about being a writer it's i'm a i'm an educator i'm in a, a cult like i am shifting the culture around conversations in diversity in children's literature and young adult literature and diversifying and, and portrayals of um, diverse people and i'm also mentoring like so I'm seeing that I'm not just it's just not me but I'm I'm part of this and have always been but it was never I wasn't it was an awareness but just like okay this is part of my calling this is why I'm here this is what I gotta do this is the work I'm supposed to be doing right now and it's important and um I can't walk away from it. I have to just step into it with two feet and, and pursue it and do it. And it's benefiting a lot of people. And that's what I want. It's about legacy, I think. Yeah. For sure. And mm-hmm. uh, so rewarding now, just mm-hmm. seeing these, the early fruits, I guess, yeah. uh, of what you're doing Uh it's exciting to imagine what else this group could accomplish. Um, well, we all could accomplish, <laughs> I guess. By, uh, Sorry, this group? What did you mean by that? Sorry. Sorry, because uh, you, um, because you referred to being a leader of uh, a group of uh, authors who are trying to offer more diversity and show more um, mm-hmm. representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess when you, when you said re- group, I was like, what group? I don't know. Like I, <laughs> you know what? But as you say that I, I never really, I, I community is huge for me. And 
I've always real I'm realizing I've always been about community and creating community. And community was actually a word that I used to hear all the time when I was at Grable. I was living in in a meeting here about community and and I never really got it, but now I realize I've always created communities. Like I've always about pulling people along with my journey and I I'm like I wanna I wanna I think that's going to be a beautiful part of my legacy or what I do. Like, it's not just about the book that I put out, but it's about who did I pull along. This this has been really great, Nadia. Thank you so much for the conversation and for uh, joining the podcast. It was a pleasure. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for reaching out. Um, and it's great. Like, I really enjoyed the process and it helped me to, to reflect about my career and yeah, I just, I, yeah. So I thank you for the chance to do that, Megan, and um, for reaching out. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow, subscribe, like, whatever it is your podcast player lets you do. If you want to meet more alumni, check out the spring 2021 issue of Waterloo Magazine. Inside, you'll find stories about resilient alumni including a piece about how Nadia is inspired by her own characters. You can find it all at uwaterloo.ca slash magazine. Season two of Uncharted Warriors in the World is written and produced by me, Meg Vanderwood. Carlos Saavedra is our editor. Carlos and I are both alumni and staff at the University of Waterloo.